Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And uh, this is a part of uh, the Exodus story where the people have been brought out of slavery in Egypt, Israelites that is, and um, and as Moses is leading them, as God has led them, um, they have gone from coming through out of Egypt and through the Red Sea uh, into wilderness where then they have uh, complained that there was no water to drink, and so God gave them water to drink, and then they complained that there was no bread to eat, and God gave them bread to eat, and they moved on from there, and they said, well, now we don't have water to drink again. They complained again. <laughs> like at some point, maybe they'll learn to trust. But anyway, uh, now they face a different challenge. And this is uh, when some Amalekites come um, and attack them. What is going to happen? This is Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And God, we do pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. God, help us uh, to hear your word for real. Uh, to take it in uh, to our hearts and our lives, God, that we would be changed by your word and by your spirit evermore into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. Turning then to our gospel lesson. We'll reading for this morning from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Uh, this is after John the Baptist has been born, and, uh, and we have the response of his father, Zechariah, who you might remember from the time he was told that his wife was going to have a baby. Uh, he did not believe it, and he was made to where he could not speak until the baby's born. Well, now the baby has been born. And the first thing that he says is, um, is that his name is John. Remember, he's not quite sure how that's going to go. And then this is the next thing we have recorded that he uh, says is uh, responding in praise to God. This is um, Luke 1, starting in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. 
salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we even take a look at our sermon text for this morning, I want us to do, uh, just kind of think about some stuff. Uh, And what I want us to think about is if if we could spot the difference between, um, between worldliness and godliness. You think you can spot the difference? I don't know if you've uh, if you remember those two pictures that uh, used to be like in highlights magazines, or I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, they appeared a lot of other places too. It'd be two drawings that were almost the same, but then it'd be like, oh, spot the differences, and you got like twelve differences you're supposed to see between the two pictures. So at first glance, they look the same, but then once you get to looking closer, you're like, these aren't the same at all. And uh, there's there are no spots on the dog, and you know that kind of thing. Anyway. So do you think if you were to have a, a picture of godliness and a picture of worldliness that you'd be able to tell the difference? You can nod or shake. I mean, yes, no, maybe. Uh, do you think you could tell the difference uh, not only with other people, but even with yourself? If you were to see a picture of uh, your worldly, like yourself as a worldly person or yourself as a godly person, would you be able to tell the difference? Maybe. I think we would like to think so, yeah? The, uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, we're getting ready to look at a part of uh, 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, a church that was at the same time uh, trying to be godly, trying to follow Jesus and, uh, in his way, and yet at the same time they kept being um, pressured by the world around them that was living very much uh, in a way that was worldly. And so, uh, and he's writing to them because there are some ways in which the worldliness had kind of rubbed off on them, or they had they were still being very worldly in certain ways, maybe without even recognizing it. And so, uh, bring it up for that reason, but also to, uh, to see we may not be too far away from that ourselves, especially when we think about what it looks like to be godly or to be worldly and what kinds of things we have in mind as sort of that definition of godliness, that definition of worldliness. What does that look like? And we may be off there. And we may think that there are certain things that are very godly that in fact are very worldly. And that would be a shame, wouldn't it? I mean, think about this. How many times did Jesus interact with people who thought they were being very godly? And he just kept pointing out, you're being very worldly. (laughs) We see this again and again with his interaction with the Pharisees. Meanwhile, we have people 
who knew that they were very worldly. And Jesus would point that out to them, and their lives would change. And they wanted something different. Um, so Paul writes this letter, and uh, in chapter 3, it starts this way. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. That's where we're going to stop and. I'll tell you where we're going to go on from there, where he goes on from there, is looking at that image of uh, the people as God's building. But for today, we're looking more at uh, what it means for them to be God's field. He uses both images here. And did you catch what it was that he pointed out that they, that indicated to him that they were still being worldly? Was it the stuff that came to mind when you were evaluating what it looks like to be worldly or godly? It was jealousy, right? Jealousy and quarreling. Those are the things that he points out and says, because you're still doing that, that's what shows to me that you are still being worldly. Oh my goodness. How much today in the church do we often view those things like jealousy and quarreling as actually very godly? No, no, no. I'm standing up for God in this way by being jealous or by being uh, very uh, quarreling about one thing or another. And yet Paul points out those are actually indications of them living like the rest of the world. Uh, He says in... Romans chapter 12, actually the start of Romans chapter 12, says, do not, hang on, Uh, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he's pointed out here that what's happening with the church in Corinth is though they have come to accept Jesus, they're still babies uh, who have started this new life, but they haven't been growing up. They haven't been maturing. And so this is where he says, um, you're mere infants in Christ. And uh, I mean, you know the difference between a baby and an adult, right? And there are things that would be okay for adults to do that are not okay for babies to do. <laughs> And, uh, and, I mean, you think about <clears throat> just as we develop and the different uh, things that are appropriate. For example, can you imagine uh, you have 
like a five-year-old who has learned to ride their bike. And they are just running into, they've, they've learned to ride their bike. We'll put it that way. They are just running into anyone and everything with their bike. But boy, they're on it. <laughs> they're doing that. And then they're like, hey, so can I drive now? Can I drive your car? No, you can't. <laughs> no. Now, there may come a time, but it's going to take a bit more maturity. You're going to grow and develop more into a way where uh, you can be more in control of what you're doing. You can be more responsible, those kinds of things. Like that comes first, then you can drive the car. And what we have with uh, this church in Corinth, you've got people who are like wanting, wanting to drive who have not demonstrated that they have any of the maturity necessary to do that. Uh, they're still acting just like the rest of the world in these certain ways. And yet, uh, then they're trying to <laughs> uh, claim superiority over each other, and we'll get into more of that later on in, um, in this letter. And if, if, by the way, you're concerned that Paul only sees uh, jealousy and quarreling as like the two marks of worldliness, and he's like doesn't see anything else as a mark of worldliness, don't worry. He'll get to some of the other things later. But these are the issues right here that needed to be addressed and dealt with with this church. And, um, and the ways in which they had been conformed to the pattern of this world. Would, would you agree that the pattern of this world in, would include things like jealousy and quarreling? Uh, that's more or less what the world is like. And then if you take somebody who has been brought up in that kind of a world and then they uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, do you think that that should change or stay the same? It should change, right? Typically, though, what we do is we keep the quarreling and jealousy. We just transfer it to the things like, that we fight about are now, like I don't know, what Bible translation to use or something. We fight all about that. It's like, ugh, why, why are we doing that? Uh, fight over what kinds of uh, worship music is um, is the best worship music. Ugh, what, what, why, why are we doing that? And we have all kinds of like Jesusy things that we fight about, and that shows we're real Christians. It's like no, it doesn't. <laughs> that shows we're such baby Christians that we feel like we need to still fight about this stuff. That we're still doing the worldly things and just trying to apply the worldly things to the Jesus things. And what Paul says to the church in Corinth is, you know, you, <laughs> this is what you're doing. Oh, one of them is like, oh, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. And Paul is one of those people. He could come out and say, yeah, just follow me and on all will be fine. But he doesn't. <laughs> what he says is, stop it. <laughs> stop it. You are, uh, when you're trying to just follow me and not follow Paulus, like, that actually doesn't help me. Because what I want is for you to grow up in Jesus. And what I see you doing when you're siding with me over Apollos is that you're not growing up in Jesus. Because that's what I want for you, and that's what Apollos wants for you. We're all working together on this, and then you're dividing over that. I mean, can you imagine uh, if you saw, and we're going to, sorry, we're going with sports illustration here, but here's where it goes. Um, Can you imagine a football team where you have players on the field who, instead of running the play they're supposed to play, are fighting with their teammates about which coach has the right plan, right? And not just the like overall plan, but like the player is like, why are you throwing the ball? We're supposed to be blocking. That's what coach so-and-so says. It's like, why are you blocking? We're supposed to be throwing the ball. That's what coach so-and-so says. It's like, well, hold on now. 
both those coaches are on the sidelines just pulling their hair out like, what is going on? We're both trying to help you to do what this whole team exists to do, and you're not doing it. And so that's the kind of thing that would really make sense only if these were people who are brand new to the game. They didn't understand the purpose of why they were actually on the field. Are they trying to score points? What are they trying to do? So if they don't understand the purpose, all they have to go on is what coach so-and-so told them to do, and so now they're trying to apply that to everybody. It doesn't work. It makes a mess. So it would make sense if these are people brand new to the game. It does not make sense if you have people who have been playing the game for years and years, and they still have not understood the purpose of the game, and they still are having those kinds of fights. This is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and saying, you know, don't get it. Like, you, you say you have accepted Jesus, um, but you're still babies. It's like you say, oh, yeah, no, I want Jesus to forgive my sins, and then that's good, and I'll just go on and just keep living the same worldly way I've always been living. What? No. We're supp- this is a new life in Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, he means it, and that we are supposed to uh, actually follow him uh, in everything. When he uses the example of the seeds and the watering, uh, this is actually a reference directly to what he and Apollos had done. So Paul is the one who had planted the church in Corinth. He is the one who had initially brought the message of Jesus to Corinth. Well, he's not there anymore. Apollos is there. And Apollos is continuing that work. And so what they needed before they met Jesus was to meet Jesus. But now that they have met Jesus, what they need is to continually be nourished and fed so that they can grow up in Jesus. And instead of receiving the word and then growing up into it, instead they're fighting over whether, you know, Paul had it right by bringing the message or Apollos has it right by growing them up in it. It's like, why are we fighting about these things? Is it wrong to follow Paul? No. Is it wrong to follow Apollos? No. Is it wrong to fight about it? Yes. And so, um, and so what he points out is, look, you, you might think that you're honoring me by, uh, oh, I follow Paul. Paul's going to be real glad that I'm following him instead of Apollos. I was like, no, I'm glad about that at all. He said, in fact, what is, what is Paul? What, who am I? Who's Apollos? Who is he? We're not the focus of any of this. We're servants. That's what we are. Um, this is what he actually says when he writes to them again later in 2 Corinthians. Um, And he says, What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul says, that's who I am, and that's who Apollos is. We're both servants, and he's given us different tasks to perform, but the goal is the same. And so he says, the one who uh, plants is nothing. (laughs) Uh, And the one, so neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. That is where our focus ought to be. Um, And that the one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers in, for we are co-workers in God's service. And you are God's field, God's building. Um, and you, you think about it, and it makes sense using the illustrations he's used. That I mean, this is one of the 
parables Jesus tells of people as uh, different land that the seed falls on, right? And that um, this is, I think, Matthew 13, where you have uh, the seed that falls on the path or the seed that falls on the rocks or the seed that falls among thorns or the seed that falls on the good soil. And it's, everywhere else it falls, it dies. But where it falls on the good soil, that's where it actually grows up and produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. And this is what, um, this is the same kind of illustration then that Paul is using and saying, I came into Corinth spreading the, the seed, the message of Jesus, the word of God. And it fell on different soil. But you guys are the ones who actually accepted it. But there were two kinds of soil in Jesus' parable. The, the, uh, the, the rocky places and the thorns. And in both of those, it springs up for a little bit, but then it dies and it doesn't bear any fruit. And it's because of the worldliness that chokes it. The, the worldliness, the concerns of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the persecutions and the difficulties that come. And so no fruit ever comes. And Paul is saying uh, to the church in Corinth, that's not, that's not what I want for you. I want you to grow up. I want you to bear fruit. I want your life to not just be the life of a baby who has accepted, uh, the, accepted the gospel message of forgiveness of sins and then just, then that's it. And I'll just live as a one-year-old my whole life. No. <laughs> no, we want to grow up. We want to continue to develop and grow that the fruit of the Spirit would actually be what uh, grows in our life, that love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and uh, goodness and faith, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sorry, I try to do that in multiple translations to get tongue-tied. <laughs> anyway, but those things, um, rather than the same worldliness we've always known, but with Jesus' language. This is, uh, this is what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. The question is, what is this, uh, what is this saying for us? And it goes back to where we started, right? Would you recognize the difference between worldliness and godliness? Would you recognize the difference not only in other people, but would we recognize the difference in ourselves? And are there ways in which we have um, been fighting about things that aren't the point? And we've been missing the point. Are there ways in which people have been uh, trying to work together to grow us and instead, we've stayed babies. And then, the other question is, if we are growing, how is it that we are working together in the same kind of way that Paul and Apollos are working together? Maybe not doing the same thing, but working together for that common purpose of helping others come to know Jesus or to grow up to be mature in the faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.